Welcome to the 21st Century Schizoid Podcast. I'm your host, Cooper Cherry. Um, this is definitely, this is the world's most schizoid podcast. Uh, that's, that's my new line. Um, so today we have David Kalin of Classic Game Fest joining us. We're going to talk a little bit about the history of the festival, um, you know, a little bit about what all goes on there. Um, we'll kind of maybe delve into a little bit of our own kind of retro gaming uh, passions and kind of what we're into and uh, let it go from there. So, David, thanks for coming out and uh, getting schizoid with me today. Appreciate it, man. Great. Thank you for having me. And uh, so we're actually, we are mobile today. We're in the classic Game Fest headquarters, uh, corporate headquarters here in Austin, Texas. Uh, pretty yes. cool spot. Yes, I definitely the- like it. There's a lot of great memorabilia up on the walls, some cool posters, um, lots of retro games sitting out. So, yeah, thanks. I like the office, man. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, um, there's there's one thing that benefit that comes with this, which is we collect lots of cool stuff. Right. Yeah. Um, so, David, tell me a little bit about you know a little bit about the genesis of what you know how you guys got started with the Classic Game Festival because I feel like this is something new. You know what I mean? It's it's such a young yeah. culture. Just I think in general, having you know I guess what I don't even know what the first uh, you know what is it like the arcades were. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I mean. You know, classic gaming is, uh, I guess, always been around. It's just, you know, the older stuff that people aren't playing anymore as much. Um, but uh, but lately, over the past, say, five, ten years, it's it's definitely picked up steam as a as a hobby, as a, uh, you know, collectors get into it. And, uh, you know, sometimes don't even play the game so much. But it's just a, um, you know, a quest to collect every title for a certain system or multiple systems, um, you know, kind of like... A, I guess baseball cards used to be, right. you know, when I was a kid, that's what people would collect that or yeah. rare coins or stamps or something like that. Um, obviously this is way more fun and way, <laughs> way cooler, you know, because you can actually do something with, them. Right. you know, you Interact. can't play with a baseball card and, you know, yeah. but, uh, but this stuff you can actually, um, you know, you can use it, you can play it with your kids, um, you know, and you can save and collect it. And, and it actually has, you know, inherent value that, that, uh, that generally builds over time. So it's, it, it's a, it's an investment on some level. Oh really? Yeah. I mean, I know that I I think there's a documentary on Netflix about this guy that goes. I think he's trying to collect the most oh, like the most rare. He's got like a list of fifty cards. He's got to collect that are like yeah. NES cards. And there's one I I can't even remember the name of it, but it's like in the thousands of dollars for the. It's so rare and sought after. Mm-hmm. You probably know what I'm talking about. There, there's there's several like that, several documentaries and several rare games, uh, you know, for every system that are that are worth hundreds or thousands of dollars, um, sometimes tens of thousands of dollars. It's uh, um, because it is, like I said, it's, it's a collector, you know, market in a lot of ways now. And so, and it's not always the games that are the most commonly known or the, right. the most popular or the biggest selling, anything like that. Sometimes they're really crappy games, but it's just <laughs> the ones that, they made the least number of or that were sold in the least number of outlets uh, that that they were so obscure even back then that now, you know, 20, 30, 40 years later, they're just, you know, like a needle in a haystack to find. Right. And so if you find it, um, they just have so much collector value built in because nobody else yeah. has it. And those people that are trying to get, say, all 700, you know, whatever NES games, that's the one they can't find. And so... Um, but they'll pay any amount of money for it, and and some of those things, yeah, on eBay, they'll you know five, ten thousand, you know, or more sometimes for that very rare, hard to find game. So David, let's talk a little bit. Let's go ahead and delve into how the classic Game Fest got started, what the genesis was, and you know, kind of what what that whole part of history was like for you. 
Okay. Um, well, yeah, my, uh, you know, my primary job is, is, you know, I'm the president of Game Over Video Games. And so, you know, we're a, a classic game focused uh, retail chain of video game stores. Um, started in Austin in 2005, so about 12 years ago. Um, and then uh, about two years later, I guess, um, we had uh, our first big tournament or event in the store. Um, you know, it was, uh, I think we did, I forget even what the game was at that point, but um, but it was just, I think, one tournament. Um, you know, we had about 50 people show up, and, and for us it seemed like a really big deal. Like, right. that was a big turnout. We were super excited. Um, and then every year we added more games. We had a band come play. It got bigger and bigger. We got into, you know, hundreds of people. You know, we couldn't fit them in the store anymore. We had them out in the parking lot at the Game Over store. <laughs> we rented the space next door for a night just to, it was vacant, just to have, like, a, a party space. Um, and then, uh, you know, after several years, uh, you know, we kept that kind of going, and it became its own thing. So it's it's a separate company now, and, uh, you know, but I, I still run both, but, uh, but it's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship, like, you know, Game Over promotes classic gaming and promotes the event and then you know the staff helps to run it and make it happen at classic game fest so they kind of help each other out um but then yeah so classic game fest i guess about four years ago uh we got so big that we had to move it into an actual event hall and so we went to the palmer event center and uh, the first year there we were upstairs they have some meeting rooms that combine together i think is about five thousand square feet and then the next year we did downstairs and the the smaller of the two main event halls um, which uh, I want to say is about 20,000 square feet. And then, this, and then the year after that, I'm sorry, we did the bigger hall downstairs, which was about 40,000, 45,000 square feet. And then this past summer uh, was the first year that we rented the whole building. So the Palmer Event Center, we had um, over 65,000 square feet, um, two halls. Um, we had over like 130 vendors. And, uh, you know, it is, uh, it is you know, in, in, in fact, it is the, the biggest retro gaming event of any kind in Texas. Uh, it's one of the biggest in the country. Um, you know, we had vendors come from all over the U.S., from California, from Ohio, from um, uh, New York, um, from Seattle, um, you know, and then obviously all over Texas, too. Lots of local artists, you know, T-shirt shops, um, you know, cool, um, you know, art, um, really artists of all kinds, you know, bead makers, shirt makers, um, print makers, um, and cool, you know, candles and soaps and just all kinds of cool video game related merch. <laughs> Um, so it's, it's amazing what you can find at Classic Game right. Fest now. I mean, it's everything from the actual games and machines to that type of stuff to, um, you know, the newer type machines that play them, like uh, the Retron series, um, you know, which are like new consoles that play the old cartridges. And, um, and then we have bands. We have guests. Um, this past summer we had uh, uh, Walter Day and, and Billy Mitchell. So, you know, icons of, of retro gaming. And, and they've been in numerous, you know, shows and documentaries over the years about their, their time with uh, the classic gaming industry and, and so it's really it's a it's a great event you know it's a lot of fun and uh it's just gotten to be so big it's uh, it's it's crazy sometimes when they happen now that uh you know just how big it's gotten but it's it's over six thousand people now uh every year so it's uh, over a two-day event that's that's a lot of people yeah absolutely yeah. Uh, and you guys just now it happened within the last you just guys just had the festival just right? in july in yeah july. It's, it's every july in austin texas yeah, so the next one's already planned for uh, July 28th and 29th of 2018 uh, next summer. So we're we're selling booth space right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I've uh, I mean personally retro gaming particularly 16-bit like that's my jam. That's yeah. kind of where uh where it the pinnacle of gaming personally. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I've always seen, you know, I've seen 
the Classic Game Fest mentioned on Facebook. I've never, I haven't had an opportunity to go just yet. Oh, I have not. But it's definitely, my heart. it's on, it's on my <laughs> radar. Um, I always see it, and it's like uh, the last minute. Oh man, that's this weekend. Damn it, I've got this to do, or, yeah. or, or what have you. So I haven't had a chance to go yet. But it's definitely on my radar. I'm, I'm going to have to make it out next summer for sure. Next summer, I'll hook you up with. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. That, that'll yeah. work for me, man. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so let's. We can go into a little bit. So you have you have vendors. So yeah, out- outside of kind of the T-shirt and kind of like the, that element, like the T-shirts, posters, the art world. Yeah. What other kind of vendors do you guys have come out? Uh, it's mostly game sellers and collectors. Okay. Uh, yeah, of all of all kinds. I mean, it comes from the uh, the the single person that's just you know selling games kind of on the side, like they have a normal job, you know, a non-gaming job, and then they just kind of buy and sell games on the side up to, you know, small stores uh, where it's just a kind of a one-man operation, mom-and-pop type stores, up to, you know, some of the, the indie chains like Game Over is or, or other stores like that that have multiple locations. Uh, Game Exchange is, uh, has also been there in the past several years. Uh, they're, they're really great. Um, let's see, we've got um, the Holy Grail out of Ohio, and uh, they brought a ton of cool stuff this past summer, and they're already coming back for next year. Um, so there's a lot, of, a lot of game sellers of all kinds. You know, some people prefer the, the smaller ones where it's more... Um, uh, you know, I don't know, I guess just less, less formal, you know, presentation, um, you know, cause they're just buying and selling a few games kind of here and there. They're trying to get certain things for their collection, trying to sell certain things to kind of fund that process. Right. Um, you know, up to like the stores like us that, you know, obviously game over is, is in it to, to make money and, you know, turning the, the games over is what we do. But, um, but overall, you know, even more important than that is supporting the, the culture of video game collecting, uh, which is why we do classic game fest. Um, you know, most of our, our profits from Game Over go back into stuff like that and, you know, not into, you know, my pocket or, right. or, you know, anybody else like that. It's, you know, we we really support the retro gaming community as much as we possibly can. And, and this event is is our biggest way of giving back because, you know, we, we support and promote it all year long. You know, our staff, our managers, you know, work the event. You know, like we, we staff the event, we kind of make it happen. Um, you know, and then, you know, we invite all these other resellers in to do it. So, you know, I don't, I don't know of another, you know, retailer that has a party every year that invites <laughs> six thousand right. people and then talks to all their competitors and says, Hey, why don't you guys come set up booths here too? And we'll all, you know, enjoy it. Um, I don't know anybody that does that in any industry. Um, but I mean, it's just how much we support the retro gaming community and we want them to enjoy it from, you know, just the, the fans and collectors, um, to, to families, um, you know, people will come with their kids and they'll, you know, be showing their kids the games they used to play when they were a kid. And so they can kind of enjoy it together. It's very family friendly. Um, but yeah, it's always, always a really great vibe, you know, at the event, you know, sometimes conventions can be kind of big and kind of stressful or crazy and, uh, rambunctious, you know, but, uh, but our events are always really, really, really chill, you know, really, uh, uh, there's a good vibe in the room and it's, it's very, um, you know, I guess family friendly is just the best way to describe it. That that you know any any age gamer and any level of gamer, um, no matter how you know hardcore you are or how much of a casual gamer you are, you're going to find something to look at, something to play, somebody to listen to in a panel that you maybe you know have always wanted to see or meet, um, and then cool music and everything. So it's it's just a really cool um, coming together of the community every year. So you you're, you mentioned panels. So what kind of um what kind of speakers do you have? Do you have like kind of a full program or like what's, what's the extent of the type of speakers that you have come out? Um, yeah, we, we try to have a little of everything. Um, you know, just this past summer, just a couple of months ago, um, you know, we had Billy Mitchell and Walter Day, um, you know, industry icons from back in the day. 
Um, we also had some, you know, more current like YouTubers, um, like we had Gamester81, we had um, Pat the NES Punk, um, you know, Norm the Gaming Historian. Um, you know, so we try and kind of mix the uh, the authentic industry insiders, you know, with the the more recent, you know, like like YouTube phenomenons right. and and you know people that talking about games and involved in games currently. Um, and then we do have a few vendors each year that are indie game developers that are developing you know new games, um, which a lot of times may be for current consoles, but a lot of them have that that eight bit sixteen bit kind of vibe to the game. So they uh, they fit in well with right. the Super Nintendo you know era type <laughs> games. Like graphically, you know, you would look at some of those games and and think it, it had to be a Super Nintendo game, but it's really this brand new yeah. PS4 indie game or something. Um, so uh, so yeah, it's it's a really good community, the gaming community, and and uh, we also have a lot of uh, uh, you know charitable causes that'll come out and like the Star Wars group that does uh, costuming and they raise money for charity, and we have Let's Play and um, uh, Extra Life come out. Uh, for you know gaming charities and um, you know so we're always uh, you know welcoming to all kinds of uh, fundraising too nice giving yeah. back a little bit of the community that's cool oh yeah are you just totally absorbed in it and you just don't get a chance to enjoy 100%. any of it you're, you're pretty much just, it's like <laughs> the the biggest uh, you know the biggest curse of of my life I guess that of what I do is that you know by running game over it's so big now and so much to manage that you know it's you know, it's a job and a half. I mean, it, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to keep all the, you know, all the moving parts going. And uh, Classic Game Fest is the same way. It's so big and there's so much with uh, just, yeah, orchestrating it all, you know, making sure, you know, panels start and stop and bands start and stop at the right times, getting people in, advertising, um, you know, inevitably at the show, things happen. You know, people don't show up with right. the booths. Um, <laughs> you know, last year there was a drip from an AC vent on somebody, you know, and so we had to move them. And, and you know, there's there's always something. There's right. always something. So, you know, I kind of end up in the role of, uh, like, the wizard in The Wizard of Oz. Right, or like so a like, firefighter. You're just yeah. running around. So like, I'm kind of, I'm kind of like, in out. charge, and I kind of do stuff. But it's, you know, I'm just mostly behind the scenes now. Just I'm pulling the strings. I'm, you know, punching the buttons. I'm, I'm making it all happen. <laughs> but I don't get to actually go out there and uh, and enjoy it yeah and uh and it's it's funny sad you know but uh you know I mean, I mean i'd much rather be you know i guess successful with the stores and the event um and not be able to really enjoy it myself if i'm creating the stuff that other people can enjoy versus you know if say if nobody ever came into a game over store and we didn't sell any games then we'd have no money to fund stuff like classic game fest and or if we had classic game fest and those six thousand people didn't show up then you know we wouldn't be able to keep doing it and so you know it's it's kind of the price i pay i guess personally which is fine you know but uh, <laughs> um, i mean i honestly like running the business i like running the event um but yeah a lot of my job is it's just the behind the scenes stuff and it's a uh, you know it's you know running the business and doing the paperwork and emails and stuff like that it's uh it is something that i enjoy doing but um, it does, unfortunately, really hamper my, right. my gameplay time. <laughs> it really does. Seriously. Yeah. Um, man. <laughs> That's fine. Take a drink myself. Oh, yeah. Let's drink to that. So I take it, to, I mean, it seems fundamental. You also have to travel to, I mean, do you travel to these events mm-hmm. around the country too? And, I mean, just as part of the business, I'm sure that's kind of a requirement, yeah. right? I mean, we have well, we have game over stores all over Texas now, and we're also in the Seattle area, and so I travel, you know, around to those, and um, and as the game over company, you know, we go to 
different conventions around the country uh, to promote, uh, you know, the stores. Um, but also everything we go to, we promote Classic Game Fest too, um, because it is, you know, running an event like Classic Game Fest, it's it's a year-round enterprise. And so, you know, even though you know I have to keep kind of my full-time job with Game Over, um, you know, doing the Classic Game Fest, it's still it's it's say ten hours a week that I have to put in. You know, whether I'm answering emails, I'm selling vendor booths, I'm doing advertising and planning panels and things, um, you know, or when we go to these events around the country, um, you know, we, we always slip some Classic Games Fest stuff on the, on the, <laughs> the, the Game Over booth right. um, because we've, we've got to, you know, hand out and promote everywhere um, to, to build that following because it's, you know, like I said, it's so important to have those people, you know, actually show up to the events. And, and uh, you know, it's the same in the stores, but it's, you know, if you, if you do something that's awesome, that's great. But if nobody shows up, it's not going to last. So, you know, we've got to keep people coming into the Game Over stores and buying stuff. That funds us putting on events like Classic Game Fest. And then when we do things like Classic Game Fest, you know, people like you, you need to go. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Um, because it's, it, it, seriously, it is. It's, it's, it's you know, it's, it's done out of the love of the community. Um, but, uh, um, but, you know, in this day and age, I mean, there's a lot of places to buy video games. There's a lot of stores. There's a lot of conventions. There's a lot of online sites. Um, same with events, you know, Classic Game Fest. There's retro gaming events and tournaments and swap meets and conventions, you know, all over the country now. And so, you know, you really have to work hard to make yours kind of stand out and attract people to come in. So it's not just like, oh, well, that's just another thing. You know, I'll miss this one. I'll go to the next one somewhere else in a couple of weeks or whatever. Um, because it's really, it's not just people's, you know, livelihood, I guess, that run those events. But, you know, it's it's important for the community that, that if you're really into retro gaming, that, you know, you go to a lot of those events and you go to a lot of those stores that sell those games. Um, because, you know, once people stop buying games from the, the stores and once people stop going to the events, you know, those stores and events go away. Um, because it's, you know, people like me do it because we love it, but even something you love, you can't do forever for free. You know, right. you, you have to make a living. And so, you know, like you need, podcasting maybe. Yeah. But, but I mean, it's, yeah, but I mean, it's, you know, you do it because, because you love it. But if you get to the point where you're spending, you know, thousands or tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to do it and nobody buys it, you know, there's only so many years you're going to do that right. and be like, I still love doing this. Um, because, you know, those, those, those balances in your checkbook are always kind of in your face. And so, you know, you, you know, I, I try to be a very, you know, compassionate-minded business person, um, but I'm also very cognizant of the fact that, yeah, once the money stops coming in, the fun stops happening. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, that's it's the the double-edged sword of like you you have to make money off of this stuff, and and uh, you know, attendance and and support from the community it's it's key to any event, um, you know, especially a, a niche type event like a retro gaming event that, uh, you know, I mean, we're we're working at this at this level to attract people from not only just around Texas but around the country. And so, if we're not always out there and always promoting and always, um, you know, talking about it um, year round, um, you know, we won't have that kind of pull. Um, so it's 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 a hard you know it's a hard job. And uh, and so it's uh, like I said, it's become you know a, a year round thing that we just we have to constantly be. I mean, the one just ended this year at the end of July. And in August, we did our surveys for feedback and, you know, how do we do? What can we change? Um, sorry. Oh, <laughs> so um, Maybe we can wait. Where is this guy? <laughs> yeah, it's just the long guy just keeps coming right. once in a while by the window. <laughs> um, but uh, um, oh, I lost my train of thought now. <laughs> sorry, I went right um, out the window. Right, seriously. Um, <laughs> nice joke. But, uh, but I mean, we do, we do it every year. And, and so, um, you know, 
we've got to keep uh, keep an eye on um, you know promoting it like the oh I know what I was saying now the uh, because the event just happened in July we did vendor surveys and feedback for attendees and vendors in August you know we always like to see what people are thinking you know what what changes can we make who would you like to see next year stuff like that we're kind of in that phase right now um, but then in September we start selling vendor booths again and we'll start selling tickets soon again um, so it's really it's a year round thing that we have to keep you know keep uh, pounding the pavement, you know, to uh, to keep it going and keep it successful. We should, probably should have done this at the beginning, but uh, go ahead and let us know, like, where can we find out, you know, what's your website, what, uh, you know, what are the avenues for buying passes and kind of what those options are, too, before I forget. Okay. Because yeah. I definitely want to promote, you know, hopefully yeah, this no, will definitely. also help. I mean, I have a small audience, but hopefully this will promote the, uh, the community because it's definitely something that I, I, mean, I just think it's awesome that you guys are doing. Especially such yeah. a niche thing, it's so cool to see that there's, you know, across the country that people are interested in these, these old games and that kind of nostalgic. Yeah, thing. I mean, it's you know, I think in this day and age, you know, there's, there's a group of people anywhere in the country that's into anything, you know, right. and just because of the power of the internet and Facebook and things like that, you know, you're able to kind of pull these groups together Very like true. you couldn't in the past. Yeah, definitely. So whether it's retro gaming or you know, I don't know, knitting or, or painting <laughs> or whatever. Like there, there are fan groups, um, you know, movie fans, uh, music fans. You know, there, there's fan groups and events all the time. Um, but you know, we have this this great power in uh, you know the internet and the reach and the capabilities. And so, um, you know, it's it's always important to use that and try and you know pull people together. Um, and so that's you know that's one of the main things that we do for the retro gaming community is try and you know give people a place you know whether you're big or small whether you have a store or not um you know even if you just make cool little gamey related stuff um you know we have this one avenue that everybody comes together you know vendors big and small musicians um industry people um you know youtube people um you know anybody who has any aspect of gaming uh you know in their in their profession or in their hobby um you know a place to kind of come together and and um not just sell each other stuff, but really kind of, you know, celebrate what it is to be in the gaming culture um, because it's it's a whole community on its own. And, and uh, you know, people that are in that community need to help each other out and support each other. And, and uh, that's that's what we try and do. So uh, what where would I where can I find out about you guys? Oh, information. I'm, yeah, I'm a horrible promoter. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so so Classic Game Fest, um, the website is ClassicGameFest.com. Boom. Um, that's a nice, yeah. nice domain. Perfect. <laughs> it, it fits really well. Um, you know, we also ask people to, uh, you know, hashtag uh, pictures and video and things like that online with hashtag Classic Game Fest. Um, so if you just search or Google, uh, you know, uh, either through Google um, or essentially Google, uh, you know, search. <laughs> I want to say Google when I want to say the word search because it's just so synonymous right. now. But um but if you just search for, you know, Classic Game Fest uh, in Instagram or in Facebook or in Twitter or whatever, you'll see, you know, pictures and comments and videos and things like that. And you can really, you know, see what it's about. Um, but the main website is ClassicGameFest.com. You can go there to find out, um, you know, information about where it's held, um, you know, how many people go, what kind of vendors we had last year. A lot of that info is still up. And, you know, we're starting to add the new ones on now for uh, for this year uh, or for, you know, next summer. And, uh you know, it, it talks about, it has pictures and video. We have a YouTube page that, that shows clips from previous years. Nice. Um, and that's even fun to look at if you go to, like, the YouTube page, uh, which would be, I guess, YouTube.com slash Classic Game Fest. Um, you know, you can look at some of the old ones. Look at, like, Classic Game Fest 2007, 2008. Nice. 
and you just see a bunch of dudes in a parking lot <laughs> hanging out. And, and then, uh, you know, you, you fast forward, like, you know, go through each year and then eventually we get into the more, um, you know, I guess, I don't want to say sophisticated because it's still pretty casual, but the more like professional looking type right. convention, um, the, which, what you would perceive if you think of the yeah. word convention, um, but it's come a long way, but it's always kept a, a family kind of vibe. And, uh, you know, the things that, that helped game over to, to grow and, and be successful, um, you know, are the same things that have helped Classic Game Fest. Um, and it's just, it's fan support, community support. Um, you know, both of them started right here in Austin, Texas. And there's a lot of, you know, Austin area, you know, residents and gamers that, that knew us from the beginning, that like knew me when I was literally the only employee in Game Over. And they would just come <laughs> in and see me and we'd hang out and, you know, talk about games and stuff. And, um, you know, and then as that grew and we had more locations and more employees and, um, you know, my job became more behind the scenes as far as like doing the, the bills and like we're looking at stacks of paperwork and stuff <laughs> on my desk right now. But I mean, you know, that's mostly what I do now. It's, it's bills, it's communications, it's, uh, you know, all that kind of behind the scenes stuff. Um, but, uh, but then as Classic Game Fest grew, um, you know, it's kind of the same thing, you know, people from the beginning knew that it was just kind of our little event and they knew me, they knew, you know, where we had it. It was always at a game over store cause that's, it was just a kind of our little party right. every year. Um, but then as it grew, even as big as it is now, um, you know, last year, the, uh, or this past summer, you know, just with me walking the, uh, uh, the event hall, it's, uh, it's really cool to see people that, that I know that, you know, we had a lot of vendors that used to be employees for me or, you know, were friends of mine or, that just knew me from back in the beginning. And, and every year they come back, they're like, I can't believe how big Classic Game Fest is now. And then, you know, last year they were here saying, I can't believe how big it is now. And But every year it just gets, it gets bigger and better. And and that's, you know, that's definitely what we try to do, but it's uh, it, it's very hard, you know, to keep that growing. Um, and we're to the point now that like, you know, we have the whole building, so I don't know what we're gonna do if it gets any bigger right now. Right. So, so now Convention I'm kind of thinking like, next I'm now. good, I'm good on the size, like no bigger now, 6,000 is good. Right. Um, you know, but, uh, but no, seriously, I mean, it's, it's a lot of fun. And, uh, um, so that I think alone is, is the thing that's always kept me doing it, you know, for game over and for classic game fest. It's, if it's, if it's not fun, um, you know, you don't enjoy your job. Um, it's, it, it's just not the same, you know, I mean, I, I've had jobs, you know, <laughs> I, and I've, I've, I've worked for other people, you know, I used to be an EB games store manager back uh -huh. in the day. So, I mean, I know, um, you know, retail jobs, you know, they, it is what it is, you know, right. and, and now's not a great time for retail. retail. No, that's you know, true, I mean, yeah. Stores are closing and going bankrupt all the time, but, um, but, uh, but you really have to love it to do it because it's a, it's a people thing and you have to love the industry that you're in, the people you work with and really try and create, you know, something unique and, and magical in a way that makes people want to get off their couch and get off the internet and come in and, uh, you know, in the events even more so, you know, like if, if classic game fest was just, you know, a couple of guys in a room and, you know, doing a tournament now, like that might not be a big draw. You know, we might not even get the 50 people we had 10 years ago. But, um, but the fact that we do it so big and, you know, we treat our vendors really well. And, and, uh, um, you know, every year, like I said, we, we hear feedback and, uh, you know, it's, it's good and bad. You know, we, we hear the negative things and we do our best to address those things. Um, but, but every year it gets more and more positive and, and, uh, you know, we, from the vendors that do come every year or have been there multiple times, they can definitely tell the growth. You know, it's a, it's, it's a learning process sometimes. And, you know, sometimes we make a change that doesn't work out and the next year we need to, you know, try something else. But, um, but we're always open to feedback and, and the support from the community, um, 
you know, from those people just in Austin that have just been coming to our stores and our events forever, um, you know, two people that will literally get on a plane from out of state and fly here to go to Classic Game Fest. Um, it's it's amazing, and it's 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 humbling to me. And and you know, I always appreciate you know that more than anything that people you know are spending their hard earned money on the stuff. You know, whether it's games in our stores or, or coming to the event. Um, but uh, um, but uh, you know, as I said, it's it's really hard to to do these days because information. Um, you know, games and, you know, everything is just so available on the internet that, um, you know, there's, there's definitely a temptation for people, I think, to, you know, live their lives in a bubble and, and shop online and, and, you know, just stay in their house. And, uh, you know, but there's a, there's a certain aspect of gaming that, uh, that Classic Game Fest brings out and other gaming conventions too bring out that you don't really know it until you get there. But, um, but the the whole competitive nature of gaming, the the community nature of gaming, it uh, you know you don't really experience it until you experience it in a room full of people. Um, you know you can play Xbox online and you can you know have like a headset like we have on right now and be talking <laughs> to people. So technically you're playing with like you know ten friends of yours on a game, but if those ten friends are actually in the same room with you. And you're playing on the same TV screen, and you can like you can nudge each other, you know, and you know where somebody's playing, you like try and block their eyes with your hand, and uh, you know, um, you know that kind of just goofing around, and and uh, and then at an event like Classic Game Fest, when you're doing tournaments and, and there's a crowd of people watching, and so you're just playing, and you see the other competitors, you know, you're talking, and you're in in the game, but then there's a whole crowd of people behind you that's also watching, and they're cheering and things like that, and. You know, every every high and every low, they're kind of with you. It's like, yay! And then, oh, <laughs> you know, it's uh, it, it's a part of gaming that that I think's you know lost in the in the online age, um, and uh, and so events are kind of an opportunity to to bring that back and and share that, and whether it's parents with kids or or just you know people with with friends and and even people they don't know at all, just strangers, um, but the community, you know, playing games together. Um, is is really a, a fun thing to see. Nice. I'm sure that's really rewarding too to kind of look back over the growth over the years to where you know, like you're saying, you're starting out in a parking yeah. lot and now you're in an event center. Um, that's got to be really satisfying to kind of look back. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Um, <laughs> I try not to look back too much right. though. It's, it's you know, it's like there's a, no time for that. Right? It's like a train that's you know, it's full speed ahead, and so there's no looking back yeah. and. You know, do we make mistakes? Of course. You right. know, Classic Game Fest, you know, we've made some mistakes. And, you know, um, uh, the the biggest mistake that we've made, you know, over the, the past few years, I guess, is as we got bigger and bigger, one of our big, uh, you know, joys is having bands there, live bands. And as we got to the big event hall, um, you know, we, a couple of years ago, you know, would have it all in the same room because we only had the one hall. Like, that's all we could afford is the one you know, <laughs> event hall. And, uh, you know, but the bands are really loud and the vendors didn't like it loud. And then the vendors like it bright with the lights and the bands like it dark. <laughs> and so it's really hard to kind of make right. everybody happy. And, and so we had a year or two there where, you know, we heard a lot of people that are like, you know, I love the bands. And a lot of people like the bands are way too loud. And, then the, <laughs> you know, the lights are too bright, too dark. And so, you know, this this past summer was the first year that we were able to to afford to, you know, rent the whole hall. And so we kind of separated it out. So we had the arcades and the tournaments and the bands all on one side. And the vendors on the other side, and so we could do the lighting different. We could keep the sound, you know, under control. And um, but uh, but but I guess where I was going with that is just that you know that's that's how it's kind of a 
um, it's a learning process for all of us. And, and, you know, we make mistakes and, you know, and, you know, we solicit feedback afterwards and, you know, we want people to tell us what you like, tell us what you didn't like, tell us what you want to see next year. And, uh, you know, every, every person that attends and everyone that takes the time to fill out those surveys, um, you know, they, they all get seen by me, you know, we, we read over all of them. And so, you know, there's no idea too stupid. There's no, you know, feedback that we won't at least consider. Right. Um, you know, I mean, some things are cost prohibitive and some guests are cost prohibitive and things like that. But, um, you know, but we still, we value the feedback, um, you know, and, and I think that was one of my greatest joys this past summer was since this was the first year we had the whole hall and had the music separated that, um, that all that feedback we got from the vendors, like, you know, this is so much better with the noise and it's like the bands like it cause they've got, you know, this big area kind of all for them and, and they can, you know, they can be loud, they can be dark, they can, they can do their performance like they want, but the vendors, they also, you know, have the, the piece of, of selling, you know, without shouting over music. And so, um, you know, it was just cool for me to see that this year. Like, I think that's our, our biggest win this year is that, uh, you know, the setup, um, you know, was able to really kind of, uh, focus on both sides of the the selling games part and then also the kind of the party aspect right. of classic game fest where people just come to have fun and, and be loud and listen to music and do tournaments and just you know relax um that uh, it just it just came together really well this past year so we hope to you know continue to um you know refine that and and to keep that kind of setup going to keep everybody happy as much as we can um, but, uh, but the bigger we get, obviously there's more people to please. And so right. it's, it's harder to keep people happy, but, uh, um, but yeah, we always are open to that feedback and do our best to, to improve every year. David, I want to switch gears a little bit. Can we, if you're, if you're willing to do this, will you will yeah. talk with me a little bit about kind of what you're like, what got you into gaming? Like what was your first experience with gaming? Like, what was your first system, or did you hop into arcades, or what was that like? Um, yeah, I would go to arcades in the mall. Um, I remember an arcade called Goldmine here in Austin uh, that, you know, if you were lucky enough to get to go to the mall with your with your folks or, or without them on the weekends. Which which um, mall, though? That, that's where you would I'm end up. I'm kind of curious, which, which um, mall is this? Even? I think the, the mall that we went to the most was Northcross Mall, which is now kind of more of a shopping center right, than a mall. Right. But, um, um, but, uh, but, yeah, it used to have an arcade, and... Uh, and then uh, I remember the other thing that it had was one of those places where you would go and like sing a song. Do you remember that? Where it's like a little studio and you would you would sing like a hit song, like karaoke, pre-karaoke. But they would kind of record it. And they'd record it and they'd, you'd make your own cassette, you know? <laughs> nice. And I remember going because I didn't want to go to the arcades and my sister would want to go to the, the sing, <laughs> singing place. <laughs> but, uh, um, but yeah, so I went to arcades occasionally and, you know, home consoles, my first console was a, a Atari 2600. Um, so, you know, I was I was born in 75 and that came out in 77. I think we got ours about 80, 81. So I was about five, six years old when I got my first Atari and, and I loved it, you know, played it all through the 80s. And, um, you know, and then, you know, luckily for me, I mean, you know, I've really quite literally kind of grown up with the industry and, uh, um, you know, after Atari, then uh, Nintendo NES came out, you know, late 80s, got into that. Um, the 16-bit, you know, I was Genesis. Um, you know, I, I love Super Nintendo, actually. Um, you know, maybe even more so now. But uh, but back then, the one I had was Genesis. And, and I love that. I love, you know, Sonic games and, and a lot of the other stuff on Genesis. Um, uh, and then, you know, just over time would get, you know, kind of another console, another console. And, and uh, it wasn't until I think I, I moved out on my own. And um, as a lot of people, you know, do, you know, you need that money. And so you got to sell all your old stuff. 
And so I sold all my old games. So when I, when I was on my own, like, you know, I had pretty much no video games. Um, and then it was, uh, I think I was about, you know, 18, 19, um, and, and started to slowly kind of reacquire things here and there. And, uh, um, and then over the years it became, you know, more and more of a, like a collection for me and, uh, you know, where I would collect and not even play so much anymore is just, just collect. And, uh, and then that kept going and, you know, other things would happen in my life and, and job situations and, and, uh, you know, everything, but, uh, but eventually I got to the point where, you know, I wanted to, to go into business for myself. And so decided to do game over and that's where the, you know, my collection kind of went again <laughs> away. <laughs> And for the second time, I had almost no video games because that's what became uh, Game Over, and then Game Over gave birth to Classic Game Fest. So that kind of brings us back to where we were, but um, or where we are now. Um, but yeah, but that's where it all started. And I, I've always been a fan. I've never been a fantastic gamer, you know. I mean, I, I'll <laughs> yeah, readily admit that, like, you know, if I sit down to play games with people, like, I'm not going to be the best person in the room just because I run a convention and own a game store. Like, that doesn't make me good at video <laughs> games. But the thing that I that I do have is is I definitely have a, a love and appreciation of them, and I like a lot of different games. You know, I, I like platformers, I like sports games, I like um, you know role playing games uh, that I can get into and understand. Um, I think a lot of times the uh, the newer games have so much time investment though, and so much um, you know just video cutscenes and everything. Right. Like it just it's too much of a time investment for me now. So. So if I go back to gaming now, it it uh, you know the stuff I normally go for is the retro stuff because you can just jump in and play and and it it really satisfies the the kind of retro you know craving that I have and and the gaming craving that I have because you can just pick up those games and play and and that's what I've always thought just made them such such great uh, you know timeless type type games that you know I think PS3 PS4 you know the newer stuff like that I don't know if we'll ever look at that the same way. 20 years from now as we now look at all the cartridge systems basically right. because you know they just they were so fun and so easy to just pick up and play and uh um and appeal to everybody you know whether you were a hardcore gamer or not and like i said I, I would always play a little bit of everything i was never really great at any of them but i would play a little bit of all of them and i would like you know each each type of game for what it was you know and i think the ones that we played the most were probably platformers but uh, but I played you know a lot of different different variety growing up and and a lot of it was um, competitive stuff too you know anything that was two player so that's where the you know the sports games come in and and even some challenging games like uh, uh, like puzzle games like Tetris or Dr Mario um, you know and even some of the the Mario series where you could do two player and and uh, you know challenge a friend on the couch and and you know sit down and play together and and uh, you know, so that that kind of in in person, uh, you know, competitive play, um, you know, has always been something that I've I've really valued, you know, as a kid, and and then like I was saying earlier that that we've kind of maybe lost now with with online that you don't like I don't have to go to my friend's house to play I can just sit here in my room by myself you know and and put on a headset and then I'm playing with you know ten people or whatever but that's not really being social, you know, uh, social gaming is is doing it you know with the people there. And it's a it's a totally different feeling and and sensation um, to do it that way, and that's that's always been my preference to play you know with people in the same room. What are some of your favorites from let's say the tw- let's we'll start out with the twenty six hundred. Give give me some of your yeah. what are you, give me two or three of your favorites of all time. Um, twenty six hundred, uh, I would say Yars Revenge. 
was probably one of my favorites. Um, what uh, was the setup for Yard's Revenge? Because there's there's a game from I don't remember which Atari system it was, but it was kind of set up so you were on like you were on the left side and you were this little I don't know sprite right and you would fire across so. It had kind of this protective shielding around, yeah, I guess, the it. boss. Is that it? Yeah. Are you serious? Yeah. And then kind of in the middle, it had this weird little pixelated force field kind yeah. of thing. So were you flying in there, <laughs> you couldn't get shot. But yeah. is, it, is that the name of the game? That's exactly it. Holy crap. <laughs> yeah. But I would play that so much uh, with my brother. I even have, like, I can, I guess this is going to be horrible for radio, but... I mean, I can nerd out. Like, I have the Yars Revenge oh, nice. uh, vinyl soundtrack on my wall over there. <laughs> I have a signed copy from the guy that wrote the game, Howard oh, Scott Warshaw, awesome. that's over there. And I've got a picture. Oh, I guess I don't have a picture here of that. But, oh, no, maybe I do. Up, up on that top shelf, there's a, Yeah, I think I see um, the... That's me with the Asteroid shirt and the Atari controller and then my little brother next gotcha. to me. Gotcha. Yeah. <laughs> Man, I'll have to grab some, some yeah. photos before I, before I leave for, the, uh, for Instagram or something. Yeah, I mean, that's some of my favorite pictures because like you know I would always play with my little brother who was uh, significantly younger than me so I could always you know just, just destroy wreck on him yeah it, <laughs> it was awesome but <laughs> but I mean you know but we had fun we really did and and then like the picture below is I got to meet uh, Nolan Bushnell uh, a couple years back at like an E3 and so it's just cool that like I've got my picture you know as a kid in an Atari shirt playing Atari like literally in the day back in the right. day and then I got to meet the guy that made it you know, that they awesome. created Atari. And so, you know, I felt like my, my whole life had kind of come full circle at that point <laughs> as far as gaming goes. Like, it can't get any better than that. Nice. Yeah. But, yeah, I, man, that was a favorite of all time. I'm trying to think some of the other ones. I mean, I remember, didn't they have, like, yeah. what? There was, like, the tank game that had, like, it yeah, was combat. different. You, you could fly planes, and it was different tanks. Yeah, and... combat. Combat was the pack-in. So that was, like, the, uh, you know, the Super Mario or whatever. That was the game everybody had was combat. Uh, but you could do tanks. You could do planes. Um, biplanes, jets, and you had the little three pack of like jets that could fly like insane. Oh yes, that's right. Um, it was really <laughs> weird, but uh, um, but yeah, we would play that a lot too because it's it's competitive. It's fun, like two player action. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, combat was like the like pre Halo. You know, it was you know you each had a gun and you had this you know it was a tank instead of a person. But I mean, you would it was like a third person shooter, I guess, and you'd go around and find each other and and you had like uh, you know some with the the ricochet bullets that oh, would yeah. go off the walls and, <laughs> and some levels where it was invisible, you know, and, and so you try and sneak up on people. But, um, but yeah, no, hours and hours in the 80s spent on combat. Um, let's see, Yard's Revenge, uh, Adventure. Some of my first RPG experience, you know, where you were the, uh, you were the little square and you would pick up the sword, which was like an arrow, and you'd go around and try and slay the dragon that looked like a little seahorse. Yeah. <laughs> this one I this one I don't remember. Uh it's been a while since man, I haven't played twenty six hundred in like yeah. forever. Even though I kinda dig that. It's like I had some emulators on my computer like back in the in the nineties. That's like the last time I played any twenty six hundred yeah. stuff. But it's fun it's so funny that you actually mentioned you nailed that the first game that I asked about, <laughs> you nailed it. I knew that I had a feeling that you would know funny. what it was. Like I have I haven't been it's been like twenty, thirty years. Yeah, that I've been trying to remember this game, and I yeah. can't. So no, it's awesome. Yars Revenge, but it was. I mean, it it really was one of my favorite games as a kid, and uh, um, so it was it was really great to meet you know the the guy that wrote it, Howard yeah, Scott uh, Warshall. Awesome. Um, this was I guess two years ago at Classic Game Fest. He'd come and um, you know at that time they were doing the the dig in the desert for the ET games because um, he'd also um, designed the ET game. You know, okay, like the notoriously 
worst game of all time, <laughs> E.T. on the Atari 2600, um, which wasn't really that bad. It was it was bad, but, you know, uh, there were a lot of Atari games that were bad. Um, but uh, but they had this thing for a documentary where they went out and to dig them up because the the landfill in New Mexico had all the remnants from Atari in the 80s when they when they crashed and burned. They uh, have you never heard about that? I never, I have not heard about this. this is a great story though. It's, they just yeah. dug a hole. <laughs> okay, well, pushed him. I'm probably the worst. <laughs> I may not be, you know, the best person to tell the story, I guess. But, but essentially, like, you know, the video game crash in the '80s, right? right. Like Atari got really big, and then they kind of crashed and burned. And it wasn't until Nintendo came along, like a year or two it's later, like that things yeah. kind of re the rebirth of, of you know the interest in gaming. Um, but at the time, ET came out, it was like panned as a notoriously bad game, but they made more copies of it than currently existed Ataris in the world. <laughs> because the thought was like, well, Atari's gonna keep going up and up and up and up and, right. and you know, eventually we'll sell them, you know, because they're gonna keep making Ataris, right? And so, you know, we'll just make a bunch of these games. And then the market crashed right after it came out. And so not only did they not sell, you know, more Ataris that could have used those extra copies of the game, but even the games they had for the Ataris that were in existence and circulation didn't buy that game because the market was crashing and the game, you know, wasn't that great. And so they just ended up with like, you know, warehouses full of that game and some other stuff that, you know, Atari, uh, when they went under, just had extra copies of other games and they couldn't get rid of it. And, you know, because of, I, I don't know if they lost their lease or just because of the bankruptcy process or something, they lost their warehouse. So they had a warehouse full of Atari games, most of which was E.T. And they didn't know what to do with them. And at the time, nobody was buying them. There's no retro market. Yeah, There's no, it was like, that's old, that's trash. Right. You know, and so, you know, they had nothing to do with it. And so they loaded it onto an 18-wheeler and took it to a landfill in New Mexico and dumped it all in the trash. <laughs> and uh, and it was a legend until a couple of years ago when people went out actually looking for it because there were reports that people had found like trolling these landfills in New Mexico <laughs> that they'd found a few Atari games. And so the word got out and people started organizing these, these expeditions to try and find it. And, uh, and so this expeditions, one, this is great. Yeah. And so like a couple of years ago they went out there and they, they literally found, you know, based on this, uh, you know, referrals and information of where people have spotted games in the landfills or, or whatever that, uh, um, they, they got to the point where they found where it was and they, they were able to dig up, you know, literally like Atari games that some of which were still like in the box and stuff and they were under the dirt. Um, but they're all there, you know, I mean, they're, they're not usable or playable anymore, but they, uh, I think got some, you know, at least some handfuls of the games just for like historic value, right. uh, to say that they were actually from, you know, that, that story, that legend. Um, that's hilarious. But yeah, it was it was pretty pretty. <laughs> it's like some urban archaeology, you know what I mean? It's like are they <laughs> Yeah, there's a uh, Oh, look, it's a it's a shard from this cart, you know. <laughs> but it is and it, it but it was a legend because people, you know, would would kind of laugh at that over the years like they never did that. Right. Like that's stupid. That's kind of, I mean it does sound you know, off the top of your I mean if you approached me with that randomly, I would have been like, "What? Are you yeah. serious?" <laughs> yeah, but no, it's it's a thing and and so they finally set out to prove it and they did. Um, and it's, uh, I think it's still on Netflix. There's a documentary about it called Game Over, uh, ironically. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but not by us, it's somebody else. But, um, but yeah, they created a documentary called Game Over of the story of them going out to look for and, nice. and ultimately find those games. Um, and like uh, Ernie Klein, who's been at Classic Game Fest the past couple of years, uh, you know, famous writer of, of some retro gaming themed, uh, you know, uh, books and, and a big retro gamer himself, uh, went out there 
to to be part of the the the, the thing. Um, and oh, uh, you know, it was it was a really yeah b- bizarre situation, but it was it was proven, and it was a it was a, a really cool. Um, I mean, you should check out the documentary. I'll uh, definitely it, have it's to. Pretty cool. This gives me a great idea for like if you could do a parody video of like Jurassic Park, but you know, mm-hmm. kind of like riff on that, but set to the classic games. It's like you. Oh, we're gonna recreate. I got this piece. Yeah. I found this ET card, and it's it's surrounded in it's like, like you know, but it's like, like like ember from the or sap from the tree. Yes, <laughs> that would be the best. That's the greatest scene. Oh, there it is. It's like it's just a yeah. little shard. You can see like the E or something uh-huh. from the front cover. That would be hilarious. That's uh, I, I need that. to get to work on that and oh, that yeah. I'll premiere that at next year's uh, yeah. Classic Game Fest. Bring it. That would yeah. be hilarious. Uh, That's funny. But uh, huh. but uh, it's moving on. So like. What about NES, man? What what was your jam on NES? NES, uh, to me, NES was all about uh, Mario and Mega Man games. Those were my faves. Um, you know, all the Marios, you know, one, two, and three. Um, Mega Man's. I haven't even played uh, all the Mega Man's, but uh, but at that time it was two and three. Those were the ones that I had as a kid, and uh, and I loved those games to death. Um, super hard. Um, but I remember with the Mega Man games, the uh, the only way I got through was using the Advantage joystick. Because you could set the turbo buttons. Okay, yeah. And then, are, you know, are we talking so about you could rapid fire? The giant. Yeah, it wasn't. It, was that, like it the, wasn't that big. I it feel was like just there like, was a pretty big with the joystick, eh. and it had the pretty large buttons that were yeah. maybe like a quarter size. It it seems big, but like today, looking if you look back, at one, maybe, yeah. like compared to what what a normal like arcade joystick is now for like Street Fighter or something like that, like the advantage was really small. It was it was just big enough to put your your two fingers on, and, and there were two big red buttons, and uh, and then it had you know the joystick there. But uh, but the fact that it had the turbo settings, so you could set it where it'd fire like you know three times with every button press or something, you yeah. know, and you could kind of turn the adjustments uh, to make it you know more or less. Um, but that was the only way I could get through. Those games are freaking hard. <laughs> those Mega Man games. Um, and then and then Mario's, you know, those were always classics. And I remember, yeah. you know, as a kid, you know, in the moment, I mean, everybody, pretty much everybody, got Mario One with their Nintendo, so everybody kind of knew that game. And and at that time, even that was just mind-blowing right you know it's like different levels and different worlds and um you know just so much to do and and so it wasn't just you know i guess so many arcade games it's just you just keep shooting you know or you just like you're a ship and you just keep shooting and as soon as you know you don't destroy them and they destroy you that's the end of the game but like this had different different levels and and you had to move and you had to you know you could like hit the turtle and it would ricochet down and and kill other bad guys along the way and um, there were just so many elements that were brand new and just really um, I thought cool and at that time in that game and then and then every game passed um, you know even Mario two you know set some uh, uh, some new uh, you know new, broke some new ground too and that obviously was kind of an offshoot from the the regular series but. Um, but then Mario Three, I remember also when that came out. Like, oh yeah, that was the shit. That was oh my god, <laughs> that was the shit. I mean, it was it was like you know, again, it just broke every every barrier and and just blew people's minds at how big and wide open it was. And it was like, whoa, there's this map, and look look how many worlds there are to explore. Um, I mean, it it really just just blew us away. And and you know, when I was a kid, and and most people that were kids in the in the '80s, um, you know, I mean, games games were expensive right it was like 50 bucks yeah 50 50, 60 60. yeah what they are now yeah but 20 years ago 30 years ago you know 50 bucks was a lot yeah i didn't even think about that you know you ask your parents like yeah i want want these 10 games for christmas (laughs) and they'd be like you may get one because 50 bucks is a lot of money in 1985 very true and uh and so yeah i mean i only had 
you know, for like NES, for example, I think I had maybe five games or something. And, and, but getting a new one was a big treat because, you know, yeah, 50 bucks, 60 bucks, you know, that was, that was like taken out of the family budget, yeah, you know, seriously. for other stuff to buy a video game for you. And, uh, and so you were pretty stoked when you got something and, uh, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, every Mario game has kind of blown me away in a different way, but, um, but yeah, Mario three, I think was probably the most just, just jaw dropping yeah, uh, at the time awesome. because you had never seen and done anything like that. And it was so much bigger, uh, and more just expansive in every way than, than any other game at the time. Um, and then now of course, you know, I mean, we, we keep kind of, you know, uh, expanding on that every time. But, uh, but yeah, no, that was mind blowing back in the day. It's hard to, it's hard to get, I mean, I mean, a lot, I guess I would have to say Super Mario World on the SNES. Mm -hmm. Was that right? It it was World, right? Yeah, Mario World. That might be my favorite, but what I thought was so cool about Super Mario Brothers 3 was all the different suits that you could have. Like the Chinooki suit was the one that was like the like beaver suit. He he would just like fly around. (laughs) Anytime he wanted, yeah. uh, and then because beavers, <laughs> right? Yeah, fly. Right? Right. yeah. Um, yeah. there was another one I think you could be a statue or something. Maybe that's later, but I feel like there was one uh, you could like turn into a statue. And the they had Tanuki, they had the frog one. Oh, yeah, there where was you could swim without yes. without bouncing around right. and getting yeah. killed so I easily. That too. You could actually control your movements in the water. But I feel like there was one where it was like you would turn to stone, and so like if you were in a tight spot, you could turn to that, and then the enemies couldn't do anything to you. Maybe I'm conflating. Mm. Super Mario World could be know. anyways <laughs> but man I mean some of my favorites on the NES are like you know punch out all-time classic yeah. it's hard to beat that man yeah <laughs> that was so much fun but I never could beat it without the game genie mm-hmm. and even then Mike Tyson was a challenge to be <laughs> with the game genie it was like ah, you might you yeah. might still get blown up <laughs> yeah no I've, I've never beat that one yeah. just with game genie yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to think what else um, man I I remember like Fester's Quest. That was one of the more challenging games ever yeah. from like the Adams family. Mm-hmm. That always got a lot of buzz. It's one of the I harder games. That one. It, it was like like Zelda, right? Like it was like an RPG. You'd have to kind of explore a world. Uh, kind and... of. It was more like a platformer. Or is platformer? Yeah. yeah, but it was notoriously difficult. Yeah. And the way that the map was laid out, it wasn't more. It wasn't a side scroller. It was like more of like the uh, over the. Head, overhead sort yeah. of yeah. it was like like the first uh, turtles game yeah kind of like a, like a third person but from the top right yes yeah, yeah yeah exactly uh that's funny i just thought about that game too yeah because that one is it kind of had the map you would drive around to the different locations and then you would actually go down into mm-hmm. the level itself yeah um but let's go on to let's talk a little bit about SN, snes and genesis i'll let you yeah. talk about genesis <laughs> Uh, just a footnote, I do think that Ge- Genesis was always the cooler system, right? Because it was like the sleek, like the black yeah. system. And, you know, they had, you know, on Mortal Kombat, they would show the blood whenever there mm-hmm. was a fatality. So it kind of had that, yeah. like, that cachet. But what really prevented me from ever getting into Genesis super intensely o- over the SNES was the controller layout. The three-button layout, man, I just couldn't never, I never, I was so accustomed to that, like, kind of diagonal way that they were on the SNES that I could never, Oh, okay. Yeah. I was never as efficient. Yeah. Especially on games that required you to hit that C, it's like kind of. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely wasn't, wasn't as easy to do like that. I mean, at the, uh, um, you know, Super Nintendo, I think, had probably one of the greatest controller designs to this day. I mean, obviously it's been copied yeah, basically. Yeah. But I mean, it, it got everything right. You know, it was, it was curved on the edges. It had shoulder buttons on top that were easy to reach. 
Um, you know, the, the four buttons were, were in a nice tight little clump on the, on the right. And, you know, you had the D pad on the other side and, you know, everything was, everything was good and it was kind of where it needed to be, you know, and, and over time there've been so many different controllers and different styles and, and, uh, anything that strays too far from that, in my opinion, like is, is not going to be good. Yeah. I you agree. know, I mean, I think the, the, the PlayStation controller became kind of the, the standard going forward for like Xbox and PlayStation one, two, three, four, you know, um, and that one's good. Um, you know, I, I, would kind of maybe wish the the wings still weren't as big you know i still like the super nintendo the way it fit in your hands better but um but i mean i think there's a reason that those two controllers get get copied the most um because they they do they they feel the best in your hands definitely yeah um when it comes to snes i think it's hard to beat the original mario super mario kart man Mm -hmm. I know that a lot of people rave about other ones, but that's yeah. still the one for me. <laughs> I love that. Even doing the yeah. time trials on, <laughs> yeah, on that game are so awesome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I love that too. And and the Mario World, you know, was a great game too. And um, and I love the Mario Kart in sixty four. That is probably my favorite Mario Kart. Um, but uh, but yeah, they they again with that they improve it every time. Every time it's better. Um, but. Uh, but I think that's that's part of the process, and so I actually like that they do that. You know, some people kind of, um, you know, kind of uh, hate on Nintendo because, you know, every console it's just like, well, right, we'll get a Mario, Mario game, we'll get a Mario Kart game, we'll get a Mario Party game, a Smash Brothers game. You know, they just do the same stuff every time, but they really do make it better. Yeah. And, and for what they do and the games that they put out, they do them better than anybody. Um, you know, the, the problem's always been they're trying to get other people to put their cool games on their system. That's that's where they always have sucked. Right. But, um, but yeah, for, for their own, you know, design of the machines and the controllers and, um, you know, they they rarely miss. Um, I won't say never, Virtual Boy. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, they, they rarely miss. They, they really, they get it right. They, they get their customers and they get what people want sometimes before they even want it themselves. You know, like with the Wii. Um, you know, and people thought Nintendo was, was dead at that time, or they were crazy. Like, what is this weird controller that's motion? Like, nobody's going to want that. Like, that's <laughs> stupid. And and it came out and just took the industry by storm, uh, you know. And But they knew what they were doing, you know. And, and sometimes they don't, but they get a little too experimental. But, um, but at least they always try, you know, new things, and they try the games that they do make. They try to make them the best they can be at the time, you know, given that, hardware or controller limitations or whatever um but uh, but yeah so i got a lot of love for nintendo even though i did have a sega back in those <laughs> days um and i'm not sure really why um honestly i don't know maybe it was cheaper or, or my parents picked it out or right. I, I don't remember why i ended up with the genesis but um but i remember really liking it and uh you know genesis had some really great uh, arcade games and you know, altered beast came with it for me and that was a cool arcade port and um and with genesis i remember the uh um, the coolest thing I thought was, well, you got the blood on all the fighting games. So you'd always be like, well, I get the Super Nintendo version when you can get the Genesis right. version and get the blood. Exactly. You know, yeah. That was all the, I was so jealous. all the controversy back then. It's like, <laughs> right. I was so the blood, get the I blood. I want the blood, damn it. Give um, me the blood, Lord. Yeah. Give me the blood. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but like just some of those games like Alter Beast, the, the sprite that you would play was so big. And, you know, I don't know. Maybe it was just me, but I just I just thought that was the coolest thing because it was like you the thing you were controlling on the screen stopped being you know a little square from like the Atari days and stopped being some little tiny minuscule dude like Mario or Mega Man 
And it was like this full-size giant person, you know, or thing. And, uh, and so just the size of the sprites um, on Genesis just, just blew me away. Um, you know, and, and it was very, you know, arcade uh, similar. And Sega's always kind of, you know, been that way with the, uh, the Dreamcast uh, more than anything, really. That, uh, you know, every game on the Dreamcast that came out was like, just like the arcade version. I mean, it was, it was fantastic for people that were into arcades. Um, and I think all that kind of started with Genesis. Like they, they came out and they said, you know, Nintendo does their thing, but you know, we're going to be the cool system. You know, we're, <laughs> exactly. we're the black one. We're the slick <laughs> one. We're the, you know, we're, we're going to be cool. And Sonic had all the attitude, you know, and he's tapping his foot and he's like, you know, Mario's so bland, but I'm, you know, this hip happening, right. you know, fast, <laughs> you know, uh, fast running guy. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, it, they, they definitely did, um, I think better than, than most in competing with Nintendo, um, because a lot of have come in and failed over the years to compete with Nintendo. Um, you know, I mean, they can be responsible for the death of, of a lot of different consoles over the years. Um, but, uh, but it really took until, um, you know, more recent times in gaming when, uh, you have the, the money in the bank that Microsoft or Sony have because their resources are pretty infinite that you could even kind of challenge Nintendo. Um, and, uh, and so back in the day, the only person or the only company that was able to do it successfully was Sega. And they, they really did a good job because they, they clearly had less money, less, you know, less games, less, you know, less of a lot of things. But, um, but what they did, they did it really well back then. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I really enjoyed being a, a Sega Genesis kid uh, in the I guess, 90s. <laughs> I was a big kid then. I was more like a Genesis adult. But right. <laughs> um, how were you on time? It's about 11.20. I don't want to take up your whole morning if yeah. you have things to do. So, um, Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's up good? to you. Yeah. No, we right. can keep going if you want. Kind of keep yeah. chatting a little bit because I probably yeah. would ask you a little bit more about maybe some favorites and maybe go even go back to some kind of some stuff. So. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, we can keep going. All right, cool. Um, so I guess going back to it's kind of crazy. I think how Sega totally kind of fell off because they had what they did the Sega CD oh next or even even before that they had what the thirty two X right. So they had the add on that you the, the Colossus yeah, yeah that you would like kind of uh-huh. it's like a spaceship that you put on and would do I guess thirty two bit gaming. I don't even remember. Yeah. The specifics of it. I was too young to be. They, they got um, like accessory happy. I think back then they they wanted to keep the Genesis so they'd have the install base of those, but then you know compete with the 32-bit stuff that was starting to come out, and so everybody was talking about 32-bit, 32-bit, and uh, you know, and for them they had you know the the 32-bit add-on first that went on top. And then they had the CD, so you could get some some video. You know, back in those days, it was all about uh, FMV, full motion video. And uh, you know, and I remember reading like in GamePro and magazines and things back in the day that you know everybody thought that's the way gaming was going. Once they started Sega CD and PlayStation One and Saturn came out, and and you know they started having some of the games where instead of being designed by programmers like drawing the games that it was actually shot like a movie and they used real actors and, you know, just like a choose your own adventure kind of thing. They'd have them do several different things and you would kind of choose where they're going, what room they're going in in the house and things. And, um, and they, there was a lot of talk in those days that FMV, that that was, that was the way things were going. And 
pretty soon, you know, games would be like Hollywood movies and they'd hire actors and do that. And basically graphics designers would be, you know, at work because they wouldn't be needed anymore. They'd just record the real thing um, and have these machines that were capable of displaying full video and to play it. Um, but, uh, but that never really came to pass. Right. And the games that they put out with the video tended to be kind of, um, you know, crappy and, uh, you know, choppy and, uh, just not as successful and so i think they they kind of backed off of that and 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 smartly so i think there's in general like as as we've gone on through time that you know the the gaming design skills have gotten better you know the software's gotten better and you can you can really design a game now that has humans in it that actually look like humans and and it's pretty realistic uh these days so you kind of don't need the 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 actors and everything in it um they'd already looks like a movie even just with being uh, you know designed on a computer um but uh, but yeah in those days it was it was that that full motion video and and sega was all about having cool little add-ons they had the 32x they had the sega cd they had um uh what was it called netlink or something that was like their they had an online thing it was like one of the first online gaming things huh. uh, i don't rem- i don't remember that maybe was that uh, with dreamcast or no 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 it was well, before well, dreamcast, dreamcast was the first one to be sold in a store that like came with online gaming capability out of the box it had a modem built in um no other console had had a modem built in but uh but genesis had this thing it was through i want to say like time warner or some cable company where you could buy a little box and plug it in and you could play some games like mortal Kombat or things like online with somebody <laughs> I have no idea how that worked. Like <laughs> right. technically, given that it was you know the '90s and and uh, you know what the lag was like. Seriously, or, or, on like a 33.6k yeah, modem or something. I, I have no idea. I, I never was privy to it. You know to to play it, but uh, but yeah, they had all these little add-ons, and then I think they spent so much time on the add-ons for the Genesis that when Saturn came out, they had you know all these other add-on things, and they didn't really focus on the Saturn enough. And uh, so, you know, it didn't do as well. And PS1 started really, you know, whooping up on it after a while there. And, uh, you know, and then ultimately they just kind of pushed that aside and all the Genesis and all the add-ons and Sega CD and 32X and everything. They're like, we're just moving everything over here and we're starting on a new thing. And they did Dreamcast. And, uh, and yeah, Dreamcast, uh, I believe, was the first one to actually have a modem built in and have online gaming available right out of the box. And a lot of their games incorporated it. Um, you know, it had four controller ports, uh, which was not new, but was also not very common. Um, you know, 64 had it, and a couple other consoles had it, but but the standard was two. Yeah, I think know, even play, the, the first PlayStation only had two. Yeah, and so you could buy add-ons sometimes to, to split it to four or eight, but, but to have four right out of the box and to have online available right out of the box, it's the same kind of theory with uh, Nintendo with the Wii. You know, like, uh, like PlayStation came out with the Move, and, you know, they had motion capability, but you had to buy the controllers and buy the games all separately. It wasn't available right out of the box. So with the Wii, everybody had the motion controllers because that was that was the controller. So everybody had one. And so your user base was everybody that had the machine. Um, and so, you know, you just, you opened it up to more developers to encourage them to do that. Um, and, and so that, in that way, I think Dreamcast really, you know, was the first one to encourage developers to, come out with more four-player games because every machine was capable of four controllers and to come out with more online options and capabilities and, and uh, you know, uh, options for the games because every machine had that modem. So even if you didn't have, you know, uh, I don't think you had to, did you have to pay for the service? I'm trying to think. Yeah, maybe, I think you did. 
I forget now. <laughs> um, but it was but it was very accessible, you know, to the masses for the, kind of the first time. Um, and then online play really picked up after that with the uh, Xbox, um, because then that was uh, that came out with also the modem, you know, built in and online was a big part of that from day one. And and then it just you know after yeah, that everything blew up after that. that yeah nothing would come out on the market without online capability because um, that just became the standard then. What I loved about uh, the Wii and what I, that was the last system I was really excited about just because of the access to their virtual console. So all the yeah. old school games you could play on there, plus the new you know the take advantage of the Wii the motion kind of controller and stuff. So that w- was something that I was super excited about. I still remember too yeah. there was <laughs> there was an episode of South Park where Cartman ends up he freezes himself because he's so excited for the Nintendo Wii. To come out, but he doesn't want to wait, so he oh, like freezes. I remember that <laughs> he freezes himself for like two weeks or a month or like something like that. But didn't he miss it then or something? Yeah, I think he was. I forget how that was, episode ended. I, but. Yeah, it was. He was either still frozen or I, there was some some twist. So, to it. Yeah, something happened. But, he still ended up not getting a Wii. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kurt. They were sold out or something. <laughs> By the time that he was unfrozen, they were sold out or something. He like yeah. wakes up in the hospital. What t- what day is it? Oh. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, South Park was good. I miss South Park. Do you, uh, have you delved in, do you have a Nintendo Switch? I do not. You do not. I do not own any current uh, console. <laughs> gotcha. Um, the, the newest thing I have is a Wii U, which uh, which our family just got not too long ago. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, most of what we play, it's, it's uh, you know, retro stuff. Um, my, uh, my kids have gotten real into Minecraft lately, so we've actually been playing that a lot on the PS3. Um, but, uh, before that, my son was a Skylanders fiend. And so, you know, it was all about buying Skylanders and playing Skylanders and yeah. So I, I'm glad that he's moved on to Minecraft now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, but it's, it, it's definitely fun to, to play together as a family. And so, you know, a lot of times I kind of defer to what, what they want to play, right. you know, just so we can all play together. But, um, but, uh, uh, but it's fun to see them, you know, playing games just like I used to, you know, as a kid and, and, uh, and now to be able to play with them. Um, cause like my parents would never play games with me, you know, like, I don't know if that's a generational thing or what, but, um, you know, when I was a kid in the eighties, like video games literally were a toy, you know, they were sold in toy stores. They were thought to be a toy, you know, when you turned 18 or whatever, they were like, why do you still need this toy? You know, your parents would like sell it in a garage sale or something. And they're like, it's a toy. You don't need it. And they just, they wouldn't play, you know, with me. Um, so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a very different world now where, you know, gaming, it's, it's, it's like movies, you know, and, and on some level, everybody games, right. You know, they may only game once a year and maybe once a month, once a week, once a day, once an hour, but, uh, you know, there's different levels, but, um, but everybody is familiar with, uh, you know, gaming and everybody has at least some exposure and some experience to it. And there's very few people that, uh, even if you, you ask them and they say, no, I'm not a gamer. If you say, "Have you ever played video games?" There's very few people that'll say no. Um, well, two of those people are my parents. <laughs> <laughs> that will say no. We've never played. Um, so, you know, I enjoy that as a dad. You know, I, I I like to think I'm I'm a pretty cool dad. You know, and and you know I'll you know get down on the floor and play Legos with my kids, and and we play video games together and do stuff like that and play board games together. And um, you know, I I think that's that's really fun. And I hope that you know someday they. You know, when they grow up and they look back and, you know, they'll remember me as the dad that, you know, would get down and play with them. Um, 
and uh, but but like I said, not all not all parents are like that, right. you know. But uh, but I think in this generation, uh, it's it's much more common uh, yeah, to have definitely. parents that are just as into Legos and Star Wars and video games <laughs> and and nerdy culture stuff as the kids are, and so you can actually enjoy things as a family, um, you know. Which uh, you know, it's just like classic game fest, like what we were talking about. That uh, um, you know that you can actually share an experience like that and. And you know, kids talk about their experiences, and the parents talk about their experiences, and they sh- they share together, and uh, you know, it's just a, a it definitely brings brings people and families you know together. I definitely think with the, with smartphones, like you're talking about um, the popularity of gaming. I mean, everybody has played. You know what I mean? Like a word with words with friends, or like they've gotten right. into some. You know what I mean? Or Angry uh, Birds. You right? Know, yeah. Right? Exactly. Like who hasn't played that on their phone? Exactly. <laughs> so that I think that's a great. Uh, and I think right. even there, they have Mario Run, or did that get pulled? I think there was um, like a. They have Mario Run. I think um, it's le- maybe it's a legit app. I, I don't know. Um, I I don't have Mario Run. I think my daughter actually has Mario Run, um, and I I want to say it's still on her phone. Uh, so I think the game's still active. Because I know they have had some emulator apps that have gotten pulled from the App Store, at least on yeah. on iOS in the past, but. Huh. I hadn't heard that if it if Mario uh, Run was affected by not. Uh, I'm not. Not, I'm not sure. Um, I just remember mm. kind of hearing a little bit of buzz about it. Um, but I'll I'll tell you a funny story about playing. So going back to the SNES days, we would play John Madden football. That was our thing at my yeah. house. So like I'd play with my dad and like uncle, and it would get serious, man. It would yeah. get really serious. <laughs> <laughs> I remember one time, so my uncle had bought this really. You know, like kind of like an upgraded SNES controller. Uh. And he got beat one time and he got pissed and he just basically takes it like a bolo and he's like swings it up and just smashes it into a tree. Oh, and wow. I mean, it would get into like, you would have to, it would be, <laughs> be like, excuse me, I'm, I'm going to walk outside. And then you'd be like, ah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what it was about uh, playing the sports games, man. It would get huh. super heated. People would get really, yeah. really <laughs> intense about it and get pissed. It's it's that competitive Seriously. you know fire and and it's you know it's 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 only like that when you're together and you're in the same room and you're you're, you're seeing it happen and uh, you know so I think when you when you win there's more celebration and when you lose right. there's more you know more teasing and and uh, you know kind of just horseplay on the couch or whatever just just fighting over it. It's always kind of funny too because like if you're the if you're on the winning side you can kind of laugh and you're like ah. yeah. but if you're on that other side it's like oh i just the, the, <laughs> i've never felt such rage in yeah. my life as i have when i was beaten in in john mm-hmm. madden football man yeah it's pretty sad yeah it's like even more disappointing than losing a real life football game like that's how he i would be so pissed oh, wow. if i got beat yeah but i would be like laughing if my if i was beating my dad i'd just be like ah like, i try not to laugh in his face but i'd just be like kind of chuckling but that's, that's cool that y'all would play together though because <laughs> um, yeah like i said i mean I, I i didn't play with my parents with the video games and i didn't know any friends that did you know it's just it, not a lot of grown-ups back then did you know i guess if you did you had like the, the coolest parents because right. um it just wasn't a real common thing and um but uh but yeah, I mean, I'm not even a huge like sports game fan, and and I don't you know play anything current like Madden football or anything like that. But when it comes to retro, like I did on Genesis, I had John Madden football, and I remember playing that just like crazy because it was the first football game that you could play, and it actually had challenge to it. 
you know because when you play football like on atari or even like the the nes football games a lot of times oh, yeah, like tecmo bowl you just run you, at an angle and it's you like could ah. kind of yeah you could you could learn some tricks and you'd win every game you know but but when it got to madden it got a little more differentiated right. and, and like you know skills started to, to come in a lot more um and then uh and then the weather i remember the weather just just seeing like it's the snowing mud, right? and it's raining and it's muddy and uh yeah such you know trivial things now like you'd, you'd be bored if a game didn't have weather right. effects in it now but but back then you're like oh my god like the grass isn't green like it's actually you see little snowflakes come down it gets muddy in the middle and stuff. yeah so uh, it's just amazing you know how far we've come and it's fun even now to look back at all those old games and and see where they're at uh over the years where they've where, where they've uh, advanced and and where things you know just kind of stay the same that uh, you know I mean you don't you don't want to break what's not broken, you know. If it's if it's working, keep using it. But um, but even like a Mario game or Mario Kart or uh, you know John Madden football or whatever, like they do improve every year. They do add enhancements every year. Um, but uh, but the parts that aren't broke, they're not going to fix. I yeah. mean, it's it is what it is. And so um, you know, I guess I guess sometimes I think people um, you know hate on like a Madden game or the new Mario game or whatever and be like oh they just release a new Mario Kart every two years it's the same stupid game blah 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 you know but but it's really it's not it's 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 better than the last and so if you're into that type of game you know why not want to play the best right you know and and uh you know see the modifications and the new tracks and whatever so um you know there's always something for everybody I guess in gaming it's kind of like getting the new iPhone you know what I mean it's like yeah. yeah, it's like, oh, it's just a new... It does the same thing, right? Yeah. But... It doesn't yeah. make the old one worse. Right. It just has new <laughs> things going for it, you know, that, that are, you know, maybe different or better in some ways. But, um, but yeah, there's, there's still some value in the old stuff. My claim to fame on the... Play, so on PlayStation 1 is... Uh, I forget. It might have been Madden 97. Yeah. So there was... Uh, you could lateral, like, if you would hike the ball, like, you would press... I think X to hike the ball, but if you had to press it twice to bring up your like passing, like to activate your receivers. Oh, okay. So what I, and you could lateral because you had those two tr- top triggers. So I, f- what I did was I would, I figured out a play, a, r- a pass play where the running back would kind of like run towards like the tight end on the end. And so I would hike the ball and instead of bringing up the receivers, I would just like kind of run down the line, kind of like doing a triple option. And then I would kind of like read his defender, and if he tried to tackle the quarterback, then I would like then lateral. Could, I would lateral yeah. it. So I kind of like invented this option play that was just like <laughs> I was just wrecking on people for like six months yeah. until they finally figured out how to stop me. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny, uh, but kind of a little innovation. That was like my mm-hmm. my most innovating thing I ever did. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it was like it was unstoppable for a while. Like because I would, I'm yeah. trying to think who the fat, like maybe like Steve Young or something at the time, was a pretty speedy player. So you could just yeah. like, and just destroy him, or Steve McNair or somebody like mm. that. It was great. Yeah, on those games you'd have to think back to, yeah, who were the best teams that year, <laughs> right. and try and always be that team. You know, like sometimes you maybe want to be the Cowboys, sometimes you don't want to be the Cowboys. Um, you know, but uh, but yeah, you want those good players on your team for sure. David, I don't want to take up too much more of your time, but I yep. would like to tackle one last topic, and mm-hmm. that would be maybe if you have some recommendations on, let's say that I want, I'm a totally new to retro gaming, but it's something that I like. You know, I enjoyed those games growing up. What is, what are my best kind of couple of solutions if I if I want to play? Let's say, if we're going back to like NES, to play now. S- yeah. S- like eight bit, sixteen bit. What you know? Yeah. What are my what are my options? 
Um, well, there's, I guess legally. That there's, yeah. there's definitely a lot of options. Um, if you narrow it down to legal options, then, um, you know, your best bet is, uh, you know, I mean, stores like Game Over, you know, um, you know, online, you know, wherever you can find the original um, machines and cartridges, um, you know, and they're out there. They're they're everywhere. Um, but, uh, you know, part of what what we sell, uh, you know, in the stores is there's there's a lot of newer machines now, too, that play the old games. And so there's. Um, a company called Retrobit. There's one called uh, Hyperkin that makes a system called the Retron, and uh, you know there's there's several different Retron models that we sell at Game Over that uh, that play um, either original carts or multiple original carts. Um, like one of them, the the Retron Five, that's kind of their their top of the line right now. It plays like nine different types of games in the same machine, and so it'll play like NES, Genesis, um, Super Nintendo, um, all three Japanese versions of those. Um, plus the, the portable games, the Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Boy Advance. Um, plus they have an adapter for it now that'll do Master System even. Oh, nice. So it's, it's a way to play like a bunch of random old cart games on a TV, and it has HDMI output. Oh, nice. It has save states, so you can save your progress on any game. Oh, that's cool. Even the ones that didn't have it back in the day or that have a battery that maybe died over the years and so they don't save anymore. Um, so so those are those are out there, and you know we sell them and other people sell them, and... and uh, they're they're really cool to get, you know. I think, um, you know, when they first started making devices like that, you know, there were questions of legality and there were questions of quality, and uh, you know, it kind of kept people away. But um, but a lot of times nowadays, I mean, the the original systems, especially like NES, um, the original ones normally don't work that well. Right. The ones that are out, you, st- you have to really wiggle those games. You have to you know replace the pins, sometimes bend them back, um, you know, to make it fit that uh the game with a, a really snug connection to make it work um and these these all-in-one or newer type systems it's just easier to do it that way um and uh you know they are legal because they don't include the games they just include you know hardware like the hardware and the and the designs and everything and i'm not a patent lawyer or anything so <laughs> you know but uh but from my understanding of it you know it's, it's legal to make the hardware now um up to uh super nintendo so in, nintendo 64 on up is not legal yet, but I guess over years, I don't know what the time, it's 15 years, 20 years, whatever it is, sometime, at some point in the near future, N64 will also be open season, you know, okay. on that. Uh, but right now it's up through SNES. So anything from there on back, you can make a machine that plays the games, you just can't um, include those games on it without the approval and, you know, licensing rights from those companies. Um, so legally, that's that's the way to do it. And then you, you get... Either an original machine, if you can find one that works well, and and you know from from Game Over or some other store, and uh, you know, or um, on these new Retron type systems, um, but then you know, obviously there's a lot of not as legal ways to play them, um, you know, and we always try and you know kind of steer away from those and steer people away from them because it's you know there's there's a lot of uh, you know legal issues with the machines that are out there like Raspberry Pis or like computer emulators or um, you know, these things that it seems like every day on Facebook, there's like a hundred people selling these, like get 5,000 retro games in this one little machine. And it's like $50. And, you know, it, like on the surface, you just wonder like, how is that possible that that's only that much for all those games? Um, but, uh, but it's because they don't actually get the permission to put the games on there. So they can make the machine, but they can't include the games. If they include the games, that's when the, the, you know, the legality comes up. Um, and, uh, you know, unfortunately, those things, you know, over time, they just, they kind of flood the market, you know, at different points. Um, you know, there's legal uh, 
alternatives that have come out, like the Retron system for the original cards, um, also Atari and Television, ColecoVision. Um, they've all made uh, what's called flashback consoles, um, which include games built in, um, and they hook up to your TV real easily, but um, but they're legally licensed from the manufacturer, so you know all the games you're playing are legally you know, licensed. Like essentially, the company gets some of that right. money, and that's you know? the ones you'll see where they'll have they'll have a system with like eighty, you know, fifty, eighty games built in, mm -hmm. oh, where yeah. you can't actually use physical cards. Right? You can't use physical cards on most of them, um, you know, in the Nintendo. Finally right. put out their own last year. At People have been NES asking Classic. for that forever. Yeah, Seriously. the NES Classic. Um, and it immediately was a huge seller. You know, obviously it sold out. And, uh, you know, their $60 machine with, I think, 30 games um, was very quickly like three, four, five hundred dollars yeah. on eBay. And no store had them. I checked last week on Amazon. They're like $250. But I heard actually that yeah. they're going re to release them and another round of them coming up. Yes. Um, yeah, they they have the the second generation one is coming out uh, this month, later this month, the Super Nintendo Mini, uh, but this time they've lowered it to twenty games, increased the price to eighty dollars, and they say they're going to flood the market with a lot more product, so there shouldn't be as much scalping on those, um, so that's good. And then after that, they said next year they're going to re-release the NES again, I again with much higher quantities, so that the the scalpers aren't there yeah i mean they should have um, jumped i mean god nintendo you got to jump on that like really, 10 years ago dude yeah <laughs> the, nintendo i mean they they do a lot of things right and it's, it's a really smart well-run company you know overall and uh, but the one thing they do wrong i think is sometimes they they underestimate their own success right because um, they kind of their own demand i mean they even had it with wii and the wii u you know the yeah. the virtual console you know so it's like they had the idea it's like why didn't you just you know what i mean right like some people want the Wii just for the virtual console yeah, so why exactly. not sell them essentially a virtual console you know which is kind of what they did there um but uh but yeah i don't know how they can look at something and say the market for this is going to be a million units but we're going to make a hundred thousand right it's like why would you do that you know why not give the people what they want you know? Right, it's almost like the sneaker culture where it's like you release this limited number and it's kind of yeah. like it gets, just gets insane. Well, what you would, I guess, the business case for that would be, you know, you're you're creating all this pent up demand, so right. every time the store gets a shipment, they're going to sell it yeah, instantly, that's and that's true. that's great. But, but still, it seems like you're losing out on yeah. a lot of revenue. But you when you I mean? see that on eBay and they're going for two, three, four hundred dollars, it's like Nintendo. That could be your money. Seriously, there. You know, you could release instead of a limited number at sixty bucks or eighty bucks. You could release a lot more, sell yours for a hundred, hundred and fifty, two hundred dollars or something, and then you would kill the secondhand market on. Oh yeah, that they way. would destroy it because yeah, yeah who, who wants to dick around with having to? Well, I mean, maybe yeah. you might want to configure like a Raspberry Pi or something. This is like a yeah, but I mean, as a project, right? But it's like there's got to be. I mean, I don't want to feel necessarily fool with mapping out button functions. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, so they kind of you know. They have a tendency to sometimes kind of underestimate their demand, and and uh, you know, but now it sounds like they're correcting that with the Super Nintendo one, and then next year they're bringing the NES back. So all those people that that bought a bunch that are still trying to, like you said, even today, sell them on eBay for two, three hundred dollars, they better sell them fast because right. next year Nintendo's going to flood the market with them, and they're going to be a hundred bucks or less. And so, you know, those resellers better sell them this Christmas. Um, uh, but uh, but no, it's it's nice that they do that, and. Uh, you know, I, I wish with all of those, whether it's the Atari Flashback or the Nintendo, um, you know, minis that they're making, you know, I always wish as, as a collector, um, I mean, obviously, Classic Game Fest and, and Game Over, you know, wouldn't exist without physical media, you know, Game GameStop in general, you know, right. game stores in general. I mean, we need that stuff to resell, um, you know, but, uh, 
Um, but it would be nice if they would release these type consoles with a cartridge slot on them. So it's like, yeah, we'll give you 30 games, but because there was 700, if you have any other ones, you can play those too. Yeah. And, uh, and Genesis has had a couple come out like that that have built-in games but also had the cartridge port. Um, but they haven't made one like that for um, like Atari or any of the older stuff or for um, uh, Nintendo systems yet that actually has pre-built-in licensed games from the company um, but a cartridge slot so you can plug in the originals from you know back in the day. Um, so that's as a collector what I would like to see because um, you know digital games are out there and, and you know you can buy them legally and that's great. Um, you can certainly get them illegally. That's not so great. <laughs> but um, but either way, you know if you own something digitally, you don't own anything. You know you own the ability to listen to that song or the ability to play that game. Um, but you know if you die, it doesn't like your thousand game collection doesn't go on to your kids. Right, like if true. you have it sitting in a room in your house, it does go on yeah. to your kids. Um, you know, if your account gets nuked, if Nintendo gets hacked or whatever, your virtual console gets blipped and everything you bought over the years gets, you know, uh, wiped out, you know, I mean, there are some safeguards in place. And if your machine breaks and you replace it, there are some, you know, ability to kind of recapture the games you've already paid to download. But, uh, but on the other hand, you know, there is always something you give up. You know, you give up the stuff you get for free. Obviously, you give up kind of your your peace of mind by knowing that you're doing something that's not legal. Um, but even if you do the virtual console and you're downloading the games for five, ten dollars a piece, when the physical copies now may sell for fifteen, twenty bucks a piece, something like that. Um, but you know, the reason it's cheaper is because you're getting less. You know, you're not getting something to own, something to collect, something to resell. You're getting something to use. You're getting user rights. Right. That's what you're buying. Um, and so, you know, for me as a collector, I just I always look at like, I like the box, I like the package, I like, you know, keeping it. And I like if I don't like it, or I, you know, need money someday, or, you know, want to, you know, sell my collection, if you have a $10,000 collection of games, it'd be nice to, you know, sell it and make some money off of it. Right. Um, and if you have $10,000 of digital games, you, there's no resale value. It's, it's, it's worth something to you, but it's not worth something to anyone else. Yeah. I'm kind of the um, open market. Yeah. So, so, I mean, you know, there's definitely a battle between physical and, and digital going on. And, and ultimately digital is, is, you know, going to be the thing. It's going to be the, the way to go. But, um, but, you know, I think, you know, what I would say from, from my personal experience of running, you know, the game over stores and classic game fest and everything is, um, you know, just always keep in mind what you're, what you're buying and, and know that, uh, you know, just because those consoles are out there that say they're $50 and they have every retro game ever made preloaded on there. And, um, you know, it comes straight from, you know, China or something in some box that has no brand name on it. And it's, you know, and they have like 10 different versions of Mario three. And you're like, I thought there was only one, um, you know, it's, you get what you pay for. And so it's cool and it's fun. And yeah, you know, it's, uh, you know, I'm not going to, you know, hate on people for doing that for what it is. Um, but for the for the long run of having something that's actually you know has a resale value as a collection, um, you know that's that's why these physical games keep going up in price. It's because stuff like that digitally exists, and so many people are kind of going that way. I think that that the the value of the physical stuff it's it's only going up, and it's it's just going to go up more over time. Right. The more people that that don't have it, um, you know, and, but but still want to play those games, it's just going to keep going up and up and uh, um, you know, so sorry, oh, no. <laughs> I got distracted there. No worries. Uh, but uh, but anyway, but yeah. So there's there's always a lot of different ways to play the classic consoles. Um, 
you know, and, and I think events like Classic Game Fest, um, you know, are also a good way that if you don't still own your consoles, if you don't still have a bunch of games, you know, going to events like that and, and you know, you know, by buying your ticket, you kind of, you know, support the concept of the event. And, you know, when you go there, you get to be exposed to all of that all at once. You know, you can play games. There's free play games. You know, you can just sit there and play Mario Brothers all day if you want. Um, you know, you can do tournaments. You can, you can, you know, see and buy and sell, you know, games there and, um, you know, and really kind of, you know, get exposed to that, that part of the, of the, the market or of the culture of gaming. Um, that again, you know, digitally, you don't really have that kind of personal interaction, you know, with people, with stores, with, um, you know, the competitors you're playing against, it's all, you know, it's all kind of synthetic. And, uh, and so, you know, sometimes, sometimes that's good, you know, there's, there's advantages, but, um, sometimes, uh, you know, real to me, real is always going to trump synthetic, um, you know, and, and something that's, that's real just, you know, can't be, um, uh, it's, it's just not it's just not the same it's always going to have you know more inherent value so yeah you definitely can't you can't blow into a uh, digital cart right yeah. which obviously yeah. psa to <laughs> do not blow into your retro games don't blow that into will the degrade them yeah <laughs> nobody knew that everybody did it yes you're oh, listening man. you're guilty of it we all did it i had it i mean i had a whole technique dude i had a whole technique yeah. where it's like you got to get it at the right corner <laughs> blow this way and like uh-huh. and it then would, you push I, it in and you like shift it to the to the side in the console <laughs> so it just touches just right i had uh i had an old NES that I had to so I would had press the cart in so the spring that would lock it down was broken or something mm-hmm. so I had to take and lodge a remote control in yeah, there shove with the something cart else to, to yeah. keep it down mm-hmm. to get it to play and this was after blowing like <laughs> like 30 times it's like oh, oh yes it's finally working yes yeah. <laughs> oh yeah so so many people and you know most of the time it worked Right. So, so nobody Somehow, ever thought it was bad. My like, bad breath did not kill my cards <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> the bad breath destroyed all the dust. Right. <laughs> uh, but it's you know it's it's just like the uh, the the digital thing like we're talking about people you know downloading this stuff you know illegally and doing things like that like emulation. I mean you you don't really realize it's bad if it works, you know. And it's right. it's only after a while that you know you blow on your games you know it may work you do that all the time it may work you know most of the time and then eventually you'll hit a point where that won't work <laughs> and you'll look at the bottom and they'll be all rusted and you'll be like how'd this get all rusty and it's because every time you blow on it that moisture yeah, that from moisture, your mouth yeah. gets in there and it's it's like wetting the game and then you leave it and then the air oxidizes and then like rusts out the the tips and you have to like uh you know really clean them file them off um or use the, uh, like in the stores, we use uh, like rubbing alcohol and stuff to, to really get all that, that junk off the tit, the uh, teeth. Right. So that, uh, you know, because it has to be metal touching metal. and uh, Metal. Yeah. <laughs> metal on metal. So so metal on metal, yeah, that's the only way to go. <laughs> um, so so you got to have clean teeth on the cartridge, you know, put it in the machine, and you got to have clean teeth in your machine. And if not, you know, rubbing alcohol or, or other tools, you know, are available to, to clean those teeth off and get it to where it does make a good connection again, and then, you know, the games will work fine. Um, so that's one of the great things about classic games is that, you know, they they rarely ever break. Um, controllers break, but the machines and the cartridges almost never break. Um, you know, they, they have a very high uh, longevity. And, uh, and even now, going back, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, a lot of those consoles, they still work. 
um, you know, they just may need to be cleaned off. Right. They may need a new controller or two or a new power cord that maybe got frayed or got chewed on by a cat or something over the years <laughs> in the garage, you know. I mean, stuff happens to the wires yeah, and absolutely. stuff. But, um, but the guts of it, the machine and the carts, I mean, they were they were pretty rock solid. I mean, that's why those carts in, in New Mexico, they're still there. It's a freaking, <laughs> it's a plastic, you know, shell that right. protects the thing and it keeps everything else out. So the outside may get, you know, funked up, but, but it, like on the inside, it's still okay. Um, but that's what they're supposed to do. Um, you know, once we went to CDs, then games started getting scratched and they wouldn't play and stuff like that. And, and then digital, and you've got the stuff with, you know, you get bugs or you get your account crashed or something and then you can't access and you're like, what happened to all my digital games? And, you know, but it's that physical, it was like a bomb shelter for your game. It's just this <laughs> little plastic, you know, right. uh, shell that, that fit over there and, and kept it safe. So... Like a di- like a dinosaur egg, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> the egg protects the little the little innocent yes, the game little, inside. <laughs> the little Yoshi, I guess <laughs> that would have been the way to go. Like the little Yoshi inside doesn't yeah. get smashed up, huh? <laughs> but uh, David, it's been uh, fun, man. Um, and this has been awesome to hear and talk about. I mean, yeah, not thank very you for many. Me on I mean, the show. you don't really run into that many people that are into retro gaming, and you're you know on average, right? Like. Yeah, I mean, I think they're out there. Like, like I said, I mean, I think everybody at this point in 2017, I mean, they, you know, they've had some exposure to games. Right. You know, and, and they may not say they're a gamer. They may not admit they're a gamer. Um, but if you say, you know, have you ever played Pac-Man? Have you ever, you know, and then they're like, oh, yeah, sure, I've done that, but I'm not a gamer. Right. Um, but, but I mean, you know, ev- there's all types of gamers. There's the ones that only play once or twice a year, you know, and, and there's people like me that are just, so busy like all the time that like I don't play much but uh, but I mean I have you know so I may not call myself a gamer because I don't really play like like I maybe haven't played in a month like Call of Duty or something yeah, like and that I don't, you're not I, on yeah I don't know like, the newest Call of Duty or you know Halo 5 or whatever like no that's that's not my my jam you know but but I mean am I a gamer I consider myself a gamer yes because even though I play very little right now you know I have this th- this history of my life that that I've I've grown up with games and I've played and collected and bought and sold you know games over my entire life for, you know 40 plus years and um and it's just you know it's something that it's it's always kind of been been a part of me either as you know just a, a toy or as a hobby as a collection you know as a store or as a business and then as now a convention with classic game fest so um you know it's always kind of been a part of me and and so yeah i always love you know talking about it and uh you know it's the closest i can get to playing is talking about it <laughs> right um but uh, um, but no, there's there's a lot of a lot of history and a lot of um, you know information that that people don't uh, you know don't often know about retro gaming and and uh, you know gaming in general just where it, where it's come from because you can really um, you know appreciate the newer games so much more when you've had the exposure to the older stuff and you can really see how you know Mario's developed over time how you know shooters have gone from from combat to Halo. You right. know, and it, and it wasn't a straight path. You know, I mean, there were there were a lot of you know bumps in the road to get there, but um, but it's because people people played and people you know were always trying to improve on the controller and the game and the graphics and and so every time you get you know a step or two further down the road and and sometimes you maybe stray off the path a little bit, but um, but overall you know the uh, progress keeps happening. You know, and you can't stop progress from happening, but you also don't want to concentrate on progress so much that you forget the the past and the history right um so it's it's good that we that we do that and and you know going to space or or you know any type of 
advancement that human civilization makes. I mean, you um, you do kind of take what's there and you try and go the next step. Um, but if you forget how they got to those steps before you, then you're not really going to ever go as far as you could go. Right. You have to you have to know the process and know the history from start to finish, and then you can get to that finish line and try and expand the finish line a little further out and do something something different that hasn't been done before. Um, so so yeah, no, I, I love the history of gaming, and and so thank you for having me oh, on yeah. and give me the chance to talk about it. Absolutely, man. Any, any I don't know time. if we talked about Classic Game Fest that much, really. Not. I mean, we, we went a little bit. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> uh, I I will do this. I, I tell you what it. I'll wrap up on this is that I will make a solemn vow. I am, I am, I am putting my hand over my heart yeah. and I am vowing that I will attend classic game fest next year. Do it. Yeah. And, and, and reach out to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm happy to have you there. And, and, you know, um, it, it really is a fun event and, uh, you know, it's something that, uh, uh, that I think, you know, everybody that's everybody that's listening that, uh, you know, if you're into video games of any genre of any age, um, you know, it's it's the kind of event that it's fun. It's it's not overwhelming like a Comic Con. You know, it's not insanely expensive like a Comic Con or anything like that. Um, but you know, you will go and for you know that 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 weekend, those two days, you know, you will you'll be surrounded by so much video game you know love and, and history that that it it'll just it'll blow your mind. So, man, that's yeah. a great way to close. And ClassicGameFest.com. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's my that's my pitch. Nice. <laughs> I think that's a great way to close it out, man. Thanks again for coming on. Okay, great. Thank you for having me. Sayonara.